So before service, we worked out a cue to start the video, and I, I, I didn't quite have it down yet, so I just put a placeholder in place, Sean Lemons is awesome, and then we forgot to revisit it, so I knew as we were coming up on the end of those announcements, I, I didn't have the cue, but it was Sean Lemons is awesome. But can I just say, Sean Lemons is awesome. Yep, he sure is. As are you. I'm so glad that you're here with us as we're kicking off uh, 2019. I am just so excited that you are here for the best Sunday of the year so far. I write my own jokes, folks. Yep. Um, yeah, I'm excited. To, I, I, you know, as we're kicking off 2019, I am convinced that there is no better place for you to be today than right here. Right? Because this is the kickoff. And I know that there have been a few days that have gone by and supposedly the year started four days, five days ago on Tuesday. But just pretend none of that happened and today is the kickoff to your year. And I am looking forward to 2019. I am excited about 2019. And I don't know if you're as excited about 2019 as I am. I don't know what your 2018 looked like. As you look back at 2018, if you would say 2018 was an awesome year, or if you would say 2018 was just kind of a bummer. I don't know. I don't know what that looks like for you, but what I do know is this. God was faithful in 2018. And if he was faithful in 2018, and he was faithful in 2017, and he was faithful in 2016, and going back he was faithful, then he is going to be faithful in 2019. And you can be assured of that fact. He is faithful. And so I am excited. I'm excited for what God's going to do in this church in 2019. I'm excited for what God's going to do in my family in 2019. I'm excited for what God is going to do in me in 2019. I believe 2019 is going to be a great year where we are just going to witness great things. And I hope that you have that same kind of burning expectation of that fact. Uh, here's how I want to kick off the year this morning. In a few weeks, we're going to talk a little bit about what we project and see God kind of moving us into as a church and kind of put some things in front of us for all of us to kind of picture together as a church, as a family, what that might look like in 2019. But before we get there, I want to go a little bit more personal today. Um, before we get to, to that place, I want to talk a little bit about the prayer that I am praying over Alan for 2019. I hope you're okay with that. Um, it, it, it will be um, a little bit different in that way, but, but I, I just want to kind of open up the book of me, I guess, for a little bit, and so you can see the prayer that I am praying. In order to do that, I think I need to lay a good foundation to start with. So if you would, grab your Bibles. And as you grab your Bibles today, if you did not bring a Bible with you, there are some that are spread out throughout the seats today. I would just love it 
if every person in here would get their hands on the scriptures today in order that you might be able to follow along with us. There's going to be a lot of scriptures because just, I just want to lay a, a good foundation. We're going to be jumping around a little bit more than I'm typically used to, um, but just so you're aware of that, let's jump in, okay? So grab those Bibles. Once you have them, open them up to Philippians this morning. Philippians, if you have one of the church Bibles, it'll be on page 980. 980. Um, I want to begin with a promise. And this is a promise that I regularly will catch myself quoting to myself, uh, reminding myself of. This is not the kind of promise that I necessarily feel, but a lot of times when I don't feel it, I will still come back to it. And so I quote this over myself. I quote this over other people. Um, This is a promise that is true, and it is a promise to each and every one of us, regardless of how we might feel. And so I want to begin with this promise so that you know it and you're aware of it, and that if there was a verse that you wanted to memorize, this I think would be an excellent one to memorize because I think you would find yourself in the exact same place that I find myself in where maybe you don't feel it, but you can still remember it. Okay? And that is from Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Here's what it says. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. A lot of times, I don't feel that one. A lot of times... I I don't think it's immediately right in front of me, and I know it to be the case. But I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is hugely important for us to know And I think hugely important for us to be sure of that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Is it the day of Jesus Christ yet? No. Is he done with you? No. Why this is important is because most of the time we don't feel that way. A couple of years ago, Elizabeth and I were Um, I think this is pre-kids, PK. Um, We were down in Branson on vacation. And for whatever reason, we were staying in Kimberling City, Branson West, instead of Branson proper, or whatever they call the different spaces down there. And, And so normally we would stay in Branson proper. That's normally where we would stay. But this time we were in Kimberling City. And so we were going to steal your dollar city, and that was when we still had dollars for them to steal because it was pre-kids. And so we were headed to steal your dollar city, and as we were coming this back way that we don't typically go, I was driving along the highway, and I look to my right, and I see these massive McMansions. Massive. And they're beautiful, and I'm like, wow, wow, those things are huge. And we went to Silver Dollar City, and we're coming back. And on the way back, I I looked a little closer. And what it was, was it was the Indian Ridge development. 
Now, something caught my attention the second time through that did not catch my attention on the way to Silver Dollar City. And I don't know if you guys know which houses I'm talking about. They're huge, and they're down in the middle of this kind of valley, that beautiful area that kind of flows down into the lake at the bottom, just gorgeous. And, and there's this sign up at the top that says it's Indian Ridge Development. And so we're on vacation, and I'm like, I want to know more about that. And so we did research, because that's the cool pastor that you have. When he's on vacation, he does research. So we, we started doing research and looking into this Indian Ridge development. In 2006, there was a guy who had this brilliant plan. He was going to build a development that was going to cost $1.6 billion, have mansion, McMansions there, and as part of that, they were going to have a golf course, and they were going to have the, the second largest indoor water park in the U.S., and, and they were going to have condominiums, 390 condomini- condominiums there. They were going to have a mall there. There was going to be a golf course there. There was going to be a Native American Heritage Museum there, and, and so he had this massive plan, and as a part of it, he, he, he was able to kind of finagle some things with the government and get some grants, and so the government actually helped pay for, for some of the development that went along with it. The governor came down on the day when they broke ground and shouted in the bullhorn, get those things started, break the ground, and all of that, and it was incredible. But then there was maybe not quite enough money to follow through. And so what began as a $1.6 billion project, maybe there was a little bit of skimming off the top from some of the government money, some fraud involved, and so multiple people have gone to jail as a result of this. So when I was first driving by, I saw these things from afar. I want to show you the picture from afar as I was driving by these massive houses. And I remember thinking as I was driving by... Man, those are huge. And then as I was coming back, but wait a second, there's no roads, and there's no cars, and there's no people. I thought something's odd there. And now, the thing about me is that I am a law-abiding citizen. (laughs) Law-abiding. I very rarely go to jail. Very rarely (laughs) go to jail, okay? Very rarely. Not of my free will. Anyways, so you can bet that I would never, ever, ever trespass. But if I were to trespass, I would take pictures. Let me show you a few more pictures as you get a little closer to these houses. From afar, they look gorgeous. As you get closer, there's multiple places, though, where there's, like, no siding. And some of these houses are almost completely finished on the outside of. Here's the one that's even closer up from the front. It, it's just this massive thing. Now, at this point, it's been so long that people have chucked rocks into the windows and they've broken. But you, you go inside of them, I assume, and on the inside, completely unfinished. Like the inside's just gutted and people have painted on the, on the walls. I, again, you know, just from the hip, but, but as, you, as you see these things, some of them look so good from the outside, and then some of them look like this, just completely undone. And all of these houses are just sitting there unfinished. And I think sometimes this is how we feel. 
I think sometimes this is, if you were to picture yourself standing before God, you'd, you'd feel just like that. And I think it's so important then, regardless of how we feel, to know the truth of this promise. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If it is not the day of Jesus Christ, then he is still working in you. And if it is not the day of Jesus Christ, you are not sitting here abandoned. Our God is not a defunct developer. He does not forget about you. He is not a fraud. If he began the work, he will bring it to completion. So today he's working in your heart. Today he is working inside of you. And so in order to lay a foundation for, again, what my prayer is, because it's really based on a, a couple of verses, this prayer that I'm praying over myself, if it's based on a couple of verses, I need to back up a lot. Like, I need to back up way up. Back up. And I need to start by laying some really important foundation. And so when I say back up, back up all the way to Exodus chapter 24. In Exodus chapter 24, the, the people of Israel had just been delivered from Egypt. And, and as part of that, they're learning a great deal about their God. They are learning that their God is a God who can part the seas and bring them out. They are learning that their God is a God who can turn bitter waters sweet. and They are learning that their God is a God who is also holy. Their God is a God who is perfect. Their God is a God who is righteous. And they, as they're taking their first steps as the people of God, are learning who their God is, and they are also learning who they are. So where we're going to pick up is at the foot of Mount Sinai when Moses has just been up on the mountain and he's coming down and he's bringing with him instructions about who that God is and what he's like and what he requires of them. And he brings, it says here, he brings the, the book of the covenant. So this is not the tablets. He's going to go back up and get the tablets. And God's going to inscribe on the tablets. But in, in, before that, he comes with instructions for his people. Part of that is the Ten Commandments. He brings them down and he says to them in Exodus chapter 24, we'll read in verse 7. And then he took the book of the covenant and he read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And we will be obedient. Oh man, this must have been a bright moment. And I think, I think I can identify with this moment because I've been there where I'm a new believer and everything's bright and everything's rosy and I'm thinking everything God requires of me, I will do. I will be obedient. They declare it to be the case. Moses with a skip in his step heads back up the mountain because God's got a little bit more instruction and by a little bit more instruction, he's gone for a little while. He's gone for seven or eight chapters. He heads back up the mountain. They're all feeling good about it. And 
Moses gets up there and God then gives more instructions about what the tabernacle is going to look like because he says, hey, I'm going to not just be the God who's afar off. I'm going to be the God who is in your midst. And so here's what you need to design and build for me this tabernacle. And he lays it all out for Moses. And and Moses is going to bring this instruction back down of what the tabernacle is going to look like. And so he, at the end of that, in Exodus chapter, let's go to uh, chapter 31, verse 18. Exodus chapter 31, verse 18. Moses has been up on the mountain for a while now, and he, seven chapters later, he, it says, God gives to Moses, and he gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. So he comes down now with the tablets of stone. I mean, right out of a movie, right? Chapter 32, verse 1. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. They don't even make it eight chapters. And here they are, they have broken the first and most important, I mean, not most important, I'm not saying that, but the first of the commandments, you shall have no gods before me, right? And they say, ah, within eight chapters, they lose it. All of the rosiness, all of the greatness, all of the, we're going to do this, we will be obedient, we're going to do all that you say, it's over. And then God says to them, as a result, No longer can I be in your midst. We took a covenant. We made a covenant together. You broke that covenant already within eight chapters into this thing. No longer can I be in your midst. Because if I go up among you, he says, I will utterly consume you. You cannot be in my presence when you have broken this covenant already. So he has Moses for a while. They set Moses up as the leader. And then there's Joshua, and then there's the judges, and they go into the land, then there's the judges, and as you go through judges, you see failure, 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 and you come to the end of judges, and one of the darkest stories in the Bible, when the tribes turn on each other, and there's a civil war, and one of the tribes is almost completely destroyed, and then God, at their request, decides to give them a king. And there's a verse there that really jumps out at me because I, I think it's one of the saddest verses in the Old Testament. It's 1 Samuel chapter 9. As he is getting ready to give them a king and he's giving instruction to Samuel and he, he points out Saul to him as this king. 1 Samuel chapter 9 verse 17, here's what it says. And when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, Here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. Restrain my people. 
is God is putting a king in place. And your version may not say restrain. This is the ESV. And if your version's not as holy as the ESV, it may say something like rule or reign. If you have the KJV and you're too holy, then that also says rule or reign. But the original language very clearly says restrain. And the ESV tries to stick close to that in spite of the fact that very clearly when he's saying restrain, he means rule. See, when God is talking about the type of people who are going to rule over his people and what they're going to do and how they're going to be king and what the government's function will be, it is this. It says, he will restrain my people. So the best they can have at this point is somebody who is standing at the edge of the cliff, holding them back from going over. The very best that they got. The reason why Saul is there, and really what our government is for, as long as they're not shut down, what our government is for is to keep them from going over the edge. Right? Restrain my people. This is the best we can get. We went from, we will be obedient, O God. We will do all that you say, O God. To now he gives them a king whose whole purpose is to just keep them from going too far. But God doesn't leave them there. He continues on. And then you get into the prophets and you begin to have these incredible promises like in Jeremiah. Flip to Jeremiah if you would. Jeremiah chapter 31. We're getting close now. Jeremiah chapter 31. Starting in verse 31. Promise of a better way and a better day what God is going to do in his people. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So that covenant that lasted seven chapters. And it's not chronological, by the way. In reality, they probably made it a half a chapter. But the, 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 the flow of thought is, all right, once we're done talking about the tabernacle, let's go see what's happening at the bottom of the mountain. So they didn't make it very long at all. The covenant is broken, and God says, I cannot be in your midst. So they set up the tent out of outside of the camp. He says, this is a new covenant that I'm going to give different than the covenant that they already broke. Verse 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This is what God is doing in you today. This is what God is doing in you this week. This is what God is doing in you this month. And what he will be doing in you all year long. He will be etching his law on your heart with his finger. 
And the reason why this is so hugely important to understand is because of the fact that I think sometimes we approach it from the wrong direction. We think God is interested in good behavior. And that that's where he starts. But he doesn't. Our God starts on the inside. He jumps right into heart surgery. And he gets right into the midst of it. And that's where God is working. And, and, and I think that we sometimes reduce what Jesus Christ came to do, to do the whole sacrifice for sins, righteousness provided, all of that. And we miss out on the fact that he also came to be the king of our hearts. And that when he came, he came in order to rule and to reign there. So he immediately begins to go to work on the inside. That's where Jesus is working. That's where he wants to be king. But he is not a king whose whole goal is just to restrain. He is a king who came to renew. Right? He's not happy just keeping us from the edge. He is the God who came in order to change us from the inside out. He doesn't say just be conformed. He says be transformed. And this is what God is doing in you right now. He is starting on the inside and working inside of each and every one of us. Now, if Jesus Christ has not yet come back, this is what he is doing in you today. That's the promise that you have 100%. I know that he is working in you. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, he is still to this day etching his law on your heart. And what is so important, I think, from that then for us to recognize is that I believe we should operate in the same manner. I think too many times we try to stand outside and say, change. Right? We do that to people. We do that to our city. We do that to our nation. We do that to cultures. We stand outside and say, change. But that is not God's pattern. He gets into the inside. And so for somebody even, and I, this is not happening in this church, I'm not saying this, but if someone were to say, oh, I don't like that about praise assembly, well, get inside of it and change it. Don't stand on the outside saying, that's not what it should look like. Get in and change it. And the same with our culture and same with our neighborhoods. You cannot stand on your front lawn looking around at your neighborhood, shaking your head, if you're not willing to get in and change it. We can talk about how our city is going downhill, or we can be a part of Jobs for Life. Get in and change it. This is what Jesus Christ came to do. He did it for us, and that's if we are going to be like him, we also need to participate in. You don't stand on the outside and say, oh man, I wish that was different. Because if Jesus did that to you and me, we would be in a sorry place. He got in. And he's changing us on the inside. And the reason why that is important is because a law that is outside of me will never be as effective as a law that is inside of me. 
There's a law on the books that says do not murder. Now, I've never murdered anybody. I'm a law-abiding citizen. I've never really had a desire to murder somebody. Although I might threaten it, I don't struggle with that. I do not need to be held back from that. I don't think I foresee in the future ever wanting to murder somebody. But there's a reason for that. Because that law, as much as it might be on the books in the United States, is also written on my heart. There are other laws written on the books in the United States. Do not trespass, for example. <laughs> That's a bad example. Um, when you're driving, Okay. There are specific speeds that you are supposed to drive. That law, not so much written. Okay? Still a law. It's on the books. But quite honestly, it's not written in here. Right? There's a different law written in my heart. Let me tell you the law that is written in my heart. There's a few of them. Number one, if you are driving on H Highway, which is Glenstone, north of Springfield, which is out where I live, if you are driving on H Highway and the person in front of you is not driving to the full extent of the law, their freedom to drive, and you have an opportunity to pass, because there are not always opportunities on H Highway, okay? Often, there are hills, and there are, you got the double line in the middle, that means do not pass. That is written in my heart. But there are spots where you can pass, but a lot of times you're like, do I pass this person, do I not pass this person? Do I pass this person, do I not pass this person? There is a law written in my heart, which has been etched in my heart over and over and over and over again, and that is this. If there is any question in your mind whether you should pass this person, and they are maybe not driving to the full extent of the law, and you have an opportunity to pass, no, you don't have to make a decision, just do it. Okay? Because if you do not, inevitably, you will regret it. While passing, cover your face in case they go to praise assembly. That's only happened one time. <laughs> I won't tell you who it was. Awkward. <laughs> but just kind of drive, get past them, and you can go the speed limit. Or seven miles an hour over the speed limit, because most likely you will not get pulled over if you are seven or less. This is not, I'm not saying you need to abide by this. This is the law that is written on my heart. That is not the law on the books. The law in the books is you go one mile an hour over the speed limit, you are breaking the law. Now tell me, which law is more effective? The law that is written in the books or the law that is written on my heart? It's the one that's here. That's the one I'm going to abide without question in my mind. What is great about the way that God works 
is that he is not coming to us with tablets of stone. Even our heart anymore. It's not even stone. Ezekiel 36 says that this now is a heart of flesh and he is inscribing on my heart. He is inscribing here his desires for me, his pattern for living, his righteousness, his holiness, and what that looks like. He is turning me inside out. That's what God is doing in you today. He is changing your desires. He is changing your motivations. When Jesus Christ came, he came to transform. He doesn't come just with new rules. He instead comes to write on our hearts. And so this is my prayer. And I I want to read the verses that my prayer would be based on. It's Philippians chapter 2, if you want to flip back there. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Man, those two verses say it all. Work it out what God is working in. So he is changing us from the inside out. He is etching his law on our hearts. And he is working in us both to will, to have the desire, and to have the power to work according to his good pleasure. So... He works in, and then as he's working in, we take what he has worked in, and we work it out. I think that says perfectly what God does in us. Jesus did not come to be a king who would restrain, but a king who would renew. Never in scripture does it say, renew yourself. Never once. Ephesians 4.23 says, be renewed. It's passive. That is what is happening inside of me. That is what God is doing on the inside. My job is to make sure that I am a person of integrity. And what God does on the inside of me, I am working outwards and living. Work out what he has worked in. So this is my prayer. My prayer over myself for 2019 is this. That God would work more and more inside of me. Both to have the desire and the power to live the way he says I should live. And then that he would help me to be a man of integrity. Who lives out and works out what God has worked in. So 
that's my prayer for me. And that's also my prayer for you. In 2019. What I want to do is I want to take just a couple weeks. And I'm not going to take long. But I want to focus on this verse. Because this is huge. And understanding this. And grasping what God is saying here. Is huge for us. We're just going to call it inside out. Inside out. We're just going to focus on that for a few weeks, and we can't stay long, but I just want to focus on it. And the reason why it's important is because of the fact that I think many of us feel like those houses. And some of us may feel like, quite honestly, we look okay. Uh, Some of us may feel like as long as you keep your distance and stand a little bit to the left because that's my good side, then I'm doing all right. But if we were to look at what's going on on the inside, boy, it's not pretty. The outside might just look like a beautiful house. Let's pop that picture back up there if you would. Maybe there's a few cracks here and there, you know. But that's not our fault. Somebody else threw a rock. But boy, if you were to look on the inside, it does not match how we look on the outside. And some of us look like that other house. And yet what God is doing on the inside is incredible. And it doesn't match exactly. And you're like, boy, when is the outside going to start looking like what's going on on the inside? Well, that's a part of what our responsibility is. To take what God has worked in and to work it out. So it's really important that we focus on and see what that's saying. And regardless of how you feel, the promise is this. That he who began a good work in you will carry it, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has not come back. It doesn't matter where you are, where you are in your phase of life. It doesn't matter what you're going through. God is working in you today. He is etching his law on your heart with his finger. He's changing you from the inside out. And now we work that outward. Would you stand with me today? I want to end in just praying over you all and then just with a benediction, just a blessing today. Before we get there, I I do want to just say to any in here this morning who have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Jesus Christ did come to be King, to be Lord, to rule and to reign. But he also came to declare you righteous in the sight of God. This is not about whether or not when God looks at you, you are righteous. Jesus Christ came to get that taken care of. In the sight of God, when he looks at you, the righteousness of Christ is applied to your life. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, period, done, full stop, it's over. Right? Complete. But then he says, I'm not good just leaving you there. Because I want you to live in such a way that it is life to the full my way is the best way but I'm not going to just say do it 
I'm going to come and I'm going to work inside of you and then it's going to come out. I love the way God does that. It's incredible. But it always begins by accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior, being declared righteous. And if not for that, if not for that, we cannot stand in the presence of God. We cannot come to him. He is too holy and we have failed too much. Sin invades and we might try to be good. We might say, I'm going to be good. I'm going to be good this time. I'm going to be obedient this time. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. But every single time, give it a chapter. Give it a chapter. We'll say, oh man, I need to make me some gods. It's what happens. This is who we are. We are infected with it. And nothing can deliver us but the blood of Jesus Christ. That sacrifice is the only thing that is enough. And if you have not accepted that, you need to. Romans is clear. You need to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that he is who he is and who, what the scriptures say he is. And then we confess with our mouths that he is Lord of our lives, that he is king here, and we will be saved. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in our prayer. And then I want to pray over all of us today. And if you're in here and you've not prayed that prayer, I want you to just speak it out just like I have. Declare him as king. Declare him as Lord. And then I'm going to just pray a prayer over the entire congregation. Join with me. Father, we come to you today as those who, if not for Jesus Christ, we would have no standing before you, O God. O Lord, we are not righteous apart from Jesus Christ. We can never be obedient enough, good enough in your sight, oh God. We will always fail. We will always fall. We are sinners. And yet, God, you provided the way. You said you are righteous because of what Jesus Christ accomplished for us. He died on the cross that it wouldn't be about earning our way to heaven. That's not what this is about. It is all about Jesus Christ. And so, God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for what he did. And Lord, we declare him as Lord of our lives, King of our hearts today. He is Lord. He is King. We believe that he is and was who he said he was. We believe it. We know it to be true. We stand upon it today. And then, Father, we come to you as those who you are not yet done with, that you are still working in. And God, we hand ourselves over to you. We say, continue to etch on our hearts. Change the law of my heart, oh God. Thank you that you are not a God who is just seeking to restrain us from going over the edge, but you are a God who renews. You are a God who transforms. May that be the case in our lives, I pray. And may we grasp that truth, the truth of Philippians 1.6 today. That, oh God, you are not done with me yet. Though I might feel like I stand before God as an unfinished house, you are not a developer who is defunct. You are not a fraud. If you started the work, you will finish it, oh God. Thank you for that promise. Regardless of how I feel, I know it to be the case. I am sure of this fact. May it be the case for each and every one of us today that we will also be sure of that fact. Father, we thank you for it. And we ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen.